All right, everyone. Sorry for the jumble of this morning. I still see that there's nine people watching the other one that um, hopefully they're, they're able to find us here. It's just a few more weeks until Christmas. Um, and it's that time of year. Now, December 25 is not actually the birthday of Jesus. But for the history of Christmas, um, there's a great article that my colleague Emmanuel Millen has written. And um, in fact, I will put the link to that article here now for you. Um, and so you can have a look at this article that talks about the history of how Christmas came to become the birthday of Jesus. <clears throat> There's a link on the YouTube channel. Um, but I invite you to read it at your own leisure. And for for now, I think, you know, despite whether it's Jesus' birthday or not, there are, there's still really good reasons to celebrate the story of Jesus' birth during this time. And I had slides for you, but now that um, I can't show them, I'm going to do my best. So bear with me, folks. So over 2,000 uh, years ago, in the land of Judea, also known as the land of Israel, um, that land came under the ruler, the rulership or the um, the sovereignty of the Hellenistic Empire, the Greek Empire. Now, generally, the Greeks, when they conquered in land, allowed the local people to follow their own religion and culture. But there was a king named Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who was particularly harsh, and he outlawed, outlawed the Jewish religion and ordered the Jews to worship the Greek gods. What's worse, in 168 BC, he invaded and captured the city of Jerusalem. He marched into the Holy Temple um, and he erected a statue of the Greek god Zeus. Um, and he sacrificed a pig on the altar of incense. A pig is unclean meat, so it was a huge insult to the Jewish people. And one of the priests, uh, Matthias Maccabee, and his five sons led a three-year revolt against Antiochus and his army. And after three years, they finally gained control of the city and they reclaimed the temple. So to rededicate the temple that, you know, for them had been defiled, they needed oil to light the lamp um, that was in the lampstand inside the temple. Because there's um, in the temple, there's a few kind of compartments. And one of the areas was there was a lampstand with seven candles. And God had told the Israelites to keep that light burning. And so there was a very special oil that they had to um, utilize for this purpose. And they would uh, take that oil and light, keep the lights burning at all times. And so this um, light was not ever supposed to go out. Of course, when the Greeks had invaded the temple and, and had taken over the land for three years, it hadn't been burning. And so when they rededicated the temple, they found some a little bit of temple oil still left. They couldn't just use any oil. That was a very specific uh, type of temple oil. There was just a little bit left, um, just enough to burn for one day. And they needed time, at least a week, to, to make new oil. And so they lit, they put the oil in the lampstand. And what was, only, what was supposed to burn out after one day miraculously burned for eight days, long enough for the new supply of oil to be created. So this miracle became um, what was celebrated as Hanukkah every year. They called it Hanukkah, which means dedication because they rededicated the temple. Um, they also sometimes call it the Festival of Lights because for the eight days of Hanukkah, every day they light a candle to commemorate the miracle of the eight days of, of the burning. 
of the oil. So that's, you know, that happened around November, December. Um, and every year after that, the Jews would celebrate this festival of lights, this miracle of lights. So fast forward a few hundred years, and it was around Hanukkah, so around that November, December time, when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said that through the Holy Spirit, her womb would become a temple and that, and that the Son of God, the Holy One, would be born through her. And this amazing miracle would be even greater than the miracle of Hanukkah because the light of the world was coming to shine. And in Luke chapter 1, verses 77 to 79, um, I'm not able to share the screen through my, through, this, um, through my laptop. So if you can look up Luke chapter 1, verses 77 to 79, it says, You, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And this is Zechariah, the priest, who also had a miraculous son um, because he was very old, he and his wife Elizabeth. And the angel Gabriel had told them that they were going to have a son named John and that this son of theirs um, was going to be the prophet preparing people to, to accept the Messiah into their lives. And so um, in Luke chapter 1, verses 77 to 79, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's now talking to his newborn son, John. And he says, you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Did you, did you catch that phrase at the end where he is saying that the, the purpose of the Messiah, the purpose of Jesus being in the world is to be a light shining in the darkness to guide our feet into the path of peace. And I love that image of, the, of this rising sun, right? When it's pitch dark and then you've got this dawn, you've got this sun that's shining, giving light so that people can walk home. You know, today we have electricity, we have lights everywhere. But back then, you know, when you when you just literally had your little tiny candle, your your, your little torch um, to guide your path, the rising sun was good news that now you're going to be safe. And so inside Mary's womb, the light of the world came around November, December, this Hanukkah period, this this time that we now celebrate as Christmas. So it was nine months later, probably around September, that Jesus was actually born, most likely uh, during that time of the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a festival that God instituted where um, the Israelites were supposed to all, for one week, pitch a tent and stay in a tent to commemorate the time when, when, when God brought them out of Egypt. And for many years, they lived in tents in the wilderness, but God himself pitched tent with them in the tabernacle, in the, in the sanctuary, and he was with them physically. And so um, it's very uh, meaningful that around that Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus tabernacled with us, pitched tent with humanity, um, and, and took on the form of a human being um, to be with us. And that's why in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. 
Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus became flesh and dwelt with us. And in that original Greek, it actually says Jesus tabernacled with us. He pitched tent with us. It uses that piece of tabernacle language to show that Jesus chose to be one with us and to be part of our journey, um, our part of our journey home to the promised land. And throughout Jesus' life and ministry, he's shown God's glory, right? John talks about how this light shines in the darkness and reveals the full glory of God. And, and Jesus literally did that. He opened the eyes of the blind. He healed the sick. He even resurrected the dead. But one of the greatest things that he did was that he provided hope in the darkness. The people in Jesus' day lived in spiritual darkness. Some felt lost and longed for the light. And others didn't even realize that they were blind to the truth about God. Now, every year during the Feast of Tabernacles, you know, while the Israelites would for the one week camp out in tents, in Jerusalem, the young boys who are of the priestly line would climb the ladders that would go up to two lofty pillars that were erected. And on those two lofty pillars were these golden lampstands that were 23 meters high above the ground. And this was at the temple. And, the, and these boys would carry up jars of oil. And they would pour these oil into the bowls at the top of each lampstand. 38 liters of oil total. And then they would take the kind of priestly uh, robes that were worn out. And they would make that the wick. And they would carry those up and put them down in the lampstands. And then they would light these bowls. And so you can imagine these huge pillars of fire. You know, we have um, next to the crown in Melbourne at night, they have those like light torches that, you know, go off. Um, and you can see the brightness and, and you can feel it. So imagine these huge lampstands of 38 liters of oil burning. They would burn all night long and, and the fire would reflect off the walls of the golden temple. And all night, the Jews would celebrate in the light of these lampstands. And this light for them represented that how God led them by a pillar of fire in the wilderness. But it also represented to them the light that was promised in prophecy of the Messiah, the light of the world that was coming. And it was during one of these Feasts of Tabernacles, right? The fire is burning it is nighttime, and then the sun is rising early in the morning when Jesus, around AD 30, comes into the temple uh, courtyards. And this is what it says in John chapter 8, verses 2 onwards. It says, early in the morning, he returned to the temple, and all the people gathered around him, and he sat down and taught them. The legal experts and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. Placing her in the center of the group, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone women like this. What do you say? They said this to test him because they wanted a reason to bring an accusation against him. You see, the leaders didn't like the fact that there was a crowd listening to Jesus, that he was teaching them. 
He didn't have the right credentials. He didn't have their permission. And so they're outraged and, and, and they don't want to outright arrest him because then the people would, would be upset. And so they came up with this plan, this entrapped man where they thought, ah, if we, if we, if we trap this woman into committing adultery, catch her in the act, drag her over. And we ask this question. Jesus has no way of escape, they thought, because if, if, if he says, yes, stone her, then they can get him in trouble with the Roman officials because Israel was under Roman authority during this time. And only the Roman officials have the authority to do capital punishment. And so then they can, you know, go and tell on him to the Romans and the Romans would take care of him. On the other hand, if Jesus said, don't stone her, then they can say, look, he's not following God's laws. He's not following um, our, our, our religion. And then the people would turn away from him. And so they thought this was a perfect trap. Either way, the woman was doomed. There she was, trembling in the middle of this crowd who's ready to stone her. She's a pawn in their political agenda. How would Jesus respond to this woman? It goes on to say in John chapter 8, verses 6 to 8, Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger. They continued to question him. So he stood up and he replied, whoever hasn't sinned should throw the first stone. And bending down again, he wrote, on the ground. You can imagine this woman bracing for impact, right? She, she knows she's about to get stoned and she you, you can almost imagine her kind of cradling herself, going into a fetal position, ready for that first stone. But instead there is silence. There's only the sound of Jesus writing on the ground. What was he writing? Scripture doesn't say, but whatever it was, it caused the people who were ready to stone this woman to realize that they were not innocent. Their hearts betrayed them and they walked away. John chapter 8 verses 9 to 12 says, those who heard Jesus say, right? He who is without sin cast a first stone and whatever Jesus was writing on the ground, they must have seen. And one by one, Beginning with the elders, they walk away. Finally, only Jesus and the woman were left in the middle of the crowd. Then Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Is there no one to condemn you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, don't sin anymore. And Jesus spoke to the people again, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And as he's saying this, that the sun is rising. The sun is rising. You see, of all the people there, there was one person who indeed could have cast the first stone. There was one person who truly was without sin. And that was Jesus. But he did not condemn her. Instead, he freed her to a new life. In John chapter 3, verse 16, we have that well-known verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But there's verses that come after that. In verse 17, God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him isn't judged. Whoever doesn't believe in him is already judged because they don't believe in the name of God's only son. 
This is the basis for judgment. The light came into the world, and people love darkness more than the light, for their actions are evil. All who do wicked things hate the light and don't come to the light for fear that their actions will be exposed to the light. But whoever does the truth comes to the light so that it can be seen that their actions were done in God. You see, Jesus, the light of the world, gave this woman light. In, in the darkest moment of her life, he gave her hope. And he gave her the opportunity to have faith in him and have eternal life. She later became one of his disciples, following and serving him to his death and resurrection and beyond. In contrast, her accusers, they were afraid of their actions, that they would be exposed, that their hearts would be exposed. You know, they were, they were righteous on the outside. But on the inside, there were so many feelings of hatred and jealousy and pride. And, and, and they didn't want any of that to be exposed. So instead of going towards Jesus, the light of the world, they walked away from him. They wanted to stay in the darkness. And they crucified him. They wanted to extinguish the light, right? Because the light, it was exposing them, was making them, them feel that, that they needed transformation. And they didn't like that feeling, right? They didn't want to need him. And so they crucified him. And they thought if they destroyed the temple, that the light would be gone. But Jesus had said, you can destroy this temple, talking about his body, but I will raise it up in three days. And, you know, that Hanukkah miracle, the temple was destroyed and, and they were able to still light that light and that miraculously shown. And here's Jesus who was destroyed, but he resurrected and he resurrected to shine forever as the light of the world. And now today there's a new temple. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Don't you know that you have the Holy Spirit from God and you don't belong to yourselves? You see, Jesus says we are now the temple. Our bodies, excuse me, our church community, we are now the temple. And the light of Jesus shines through us. And it's still a miracle because it's not natural it's not easy right what i mean by that is that of ourselves we are not shining unselfish love right of ourselves we were thinking we want to be comfortable we want to be happy we want things for ourselves and so the fact that we can show love to others the, the fact that we can serve others that's because of the light of jesus and i love how in john chapter one it said that the light of Jesus shines to everyone, not just to the believers, but to everyone. And that's why humanity is able to love. When, when there are moments of brightness in humanity in this dark world, right? Throughout this pandemic and, and throughout the darkness of this world, when you see people doing acts of kindness, that's the light of God that shines on everyone that is coming out. And so in order for us to be the temple of God, right? And, and in order for us to, to shine God through us, it's not because we can do that work. It's because we are saying, yes, light of the world, come into my heart and shine through me. The more space we give to Jesus in our hearts, the more his light shines. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. 
A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand, and it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. In other words, shine in such a way that people praise God. So many times I wonder if we truly gave space to the light of the world in our hearts and God's character truly shined through us, would people have such a bad view of Christianity or would they see us and say, wow, I want to know that God. I want to, I want to have that relationship. And Jesus says, shine in such a way that people see the good that we do and praise our Father. Not us, but praise our Father because they can tell that it's not us, but it's God. It's God. It's God who is, who is giving us this wonderful ability to love and shine his character to the world. And that's why and how we should celebrate Christmas. Not, not just the shopping and consuming and the holiday. You know, that's all great. But doing the good that causes others to want to believe in God. Being a blessing to those who have had a hard year. How can we encourage and comfort those who have faced a challenging 2020? People who have lost jobs or loved ones this year. How can we be a light to them? How can we bring them hope in their darkness? There are people who are really struggling mentally and emotionally and physically. Or maybe it's just people who simply just have a lot going on right now because of life circumstances. How can we come along beside them and be a light, be a hope, be an encourager, be a comfort and support? What if we gave a different type of present this year? Instead of, you know, monetary kind of presents, what if we gave people the gift of our presence the gift of our compassion, the gift of our love. And while you may or may not celebrate Christmas Day, we can all take the time to celebrate the person of Jesus, the light of the world, and we can shine in our own ways his love to the world. When Micah had his first Christmas in 2013, he got this book as a Christmas present from someone and I want to um, I want to share it with you now. So, parents, if you've got children, bring them along because it's story time. Uh, it's all right. The book is called "The Light of Christmas," and it's by Dandy Daly McCall, and it's illustrated by John Walker. Oh, let me move the screen a little bit so you can see it. <clears throat> Why do we need lights that tangle? Can't we just have bells that jangle? Ornaments that sparkle spangle? Why are there lights of Christmas? It was long ago when there was no light. It was dark, dark, dark as the darkest night. Then the Lord said light and the world turned bright. How we needed that light from heaven. We got light to separate night from day and a sun shining down to warm our way. Then a moon at night with its silvery ray, we lived in the light from heaven. But the earth grew cold with the people's sin, such a sad, dark state that our world was in. As the evil spread and the light grew thin, 
We needed a light from heaven. So the Lord set loose with his holy plan. I will send my son for the sins of man. No one else can help, but I know he can. The world needs the light of Jesus. Then the Lord sent Gabriel in a blinding light to a girl named Mary on a quiet night. You will bear God's son. He will make things right. God is sending the light of Jesus. Joseph took young Mary to be his bride, off to Bethlehem, as was prophesied, on a moonlit path on a long, hard ride, with the promise of light from heaven. In a humble stable that was old and small, light and shadows danced on the stable wall, and the cows and the sheep got to watch it all as they waited for the light from heaven. All the world stood still. It was tired and worn. Then the light broke through on that Christmas morn when a cry rang out that the child was born. God has sent us the light of Jesus. In a nearby field in the countryside, shepherds looked to heaven all starry-eyed when a light burst forth and the angels cried, announcing the light of Jesus. In a far-off land, there were three wise kings. Let us follow the light that the bright star brings. So they rode on camels with gifts and things, seeking the light from heaven. As the years went by, Jesus grew and grew. He obeyed the Lord and his parents too, spreading love and light, making all things new. Jesus, the light from heaven. Jesus fed the crowds by the sun-splashed sea, caused the deaf to hear and the blind to see, and he showed the light of eternity. People walked in the light of Jesus. I'm the light of the world, they heard his claim. Come and follow me, this is why I came. But they loved the dark, and they cursed his name, and they hated the light from heaven. He was crucified on a cold, dark hill, and he died for us by his Father's will. There was no more light, all was lost and still. We needed the light of Jesus. Then he rose again, filled with power and might, and the world rejoiced at the wondrous sight. All the earth was filled with his glorious light, the light of the risen Savior. So go ahead and trim that tree. Light the lights for all to see. Christ's light shines for you and me. We still need the light of Jesus. You know why we have Christmas lights? In the 16th century, when Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, um, was delighting in the new light of Jesus, the fact that we're saved by grace and not by works. Um, it was tradition, you know, in Germany uh, during that time to, to bring in an evergreen tree, right? A Christmas tree whose leaves don't change. Um, and it was hope for them of, of, of summer and spring to come. And Martin Luther, they say, was the first to put a candle on the tree to, to light up the, the tree as a representation of Jesus, the light of the world. And so that tradition carried um, throughout time. And that's why we have Christmas lights. Um, and so this Christmas, as you as you look at the Christmas lights, as you maybe hang them up or you see them decorated throughout um, in other places, 
I want you to remember the light of Jesus. And I want you to remember that this is a wonderful opportunity for us to shine and, and share God's love with the world. And so as we, as we pray, I invite you to think of someone in your community, someone that, that you know that you can comfort and, and brighten their day um, during this time. You know, as, as important as, you know, Christmas um, plans may be, take a moment to think of someone who might be in a dark place right now and needs light. Let's pray. Dear Father, this world is sometimes so full of darkness and sometimes each one of us goes through dark times. Help us, Father God, in those moments and for those individuals to be a light, to be a blessing, to, to bring hope and comfort, to share your love as you did, Father, for that woman. I can't imagine the freedom that she was able to experience from death to life, from despair to hope. And Father, you've given us that commission to be the lights of the world, to share the good news of your love, and to just to share your love in such a way that people want a relationship with you. And we pray that you would impress upon our hearts every single person listening and watching, one person that we can comfort, encourage, and just shower love on during this Christmas time as a reminder of the good news of Jesus. And Father, as we, um, as we go throughout this week's, sometimes it can get so busy with the marrying and the, and the um, I guess the merrymaking is what I meant to say, and just, you know, all, all the holidays. But help us to take moments to pause and think of you and think about what it means for you to be the light of the world. Help us to make space in our hearts and lives for that light to shine so that we can reflect you to the world. I pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.